just to reiterate, there are no such things as ghosts. And obviously, Christmas Carol is just a work of fiction. But one thing that's interesting about it is that Dickens' own personal faith in Christ inspired a lot of the themes that you find through the book. And we're, we're kind of extracting some of those themes and using biblical truths uh, to really expose some ideas that I think will, will really make a difference for you in this Christmas season. Uh, and, and today we're talking about the courage to love, which, which may be the, the most important message um, that Dickens had to share in his novel. I mean, after all, there are a lot of painful undertones about Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. I mean, here's a cranky, sarcastic, greedy, narcissistic man, and you see all of the evidences of that throughout the book. But, but I think one of the most difficult things to watch is this loss of love that happens. I mean, here you have Scrooge, just his love relationship knuckles under and he spends the rest of his life a lonely man. And you watch this interaction between him and the young lady he was engaged to where she calls him out and says, hey, you've become more invested in something else than, than in me. And she tries to pull him back and say, hey, I need you to care about me. And then you see as he feels caught between two realities. But that's nothing new. I, I think in my work with people, I see that a lot. I see people stuck in moments, not really knowing what to do with their love relationships because it seems like there's a discontinuity in this world between what we would describe as love and the real world, right? There, there, there is, the, the, the real world teaches us to be a little bit cynical. It teaches us to, be, uh, uh, to look at things analytically and to think of things in terms of dollars and cents and, and in details. And, and sort of the, the warm, gushy uh, love emotions don't seem to really fit the reality that we know to be the real world. And certainly we live in a culture that doesn't understand love, doesn't understand friendship, doesn't understand relationships. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things, um, I think one of the reasons our culture has such a difficult time sometimes warming up to the idea of having a relationship with God or understanding the idea of having a relationship with God is that frankly, we struggle to understand relationships with people. And so relationships in general are difficult for us, and love especially. Love's a word that gets tossed around a lot. I do uh, premarital coaching. I, it's, it's a group thing now. I used to do it, though, uh, individually with, with uh, couples. And uh, I would, you know, I, I learned a trick from my last pastor. My, my last pastor's name was Alan Day. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church of Edmond, where I was before here. And uh, when I was coming here, he, he asked me what I was going to do here. And I said, well, I gave him a list of my responsibilities. But I said, one of them is premarital coaching. And he said, oh, I'll give you a trick. He said, if you want it. He said, do you want to, he's like, if you want to scare a prospective groom out of his wits, right, when they come in, just ask them and make sure you ask him first. Just ask him, why do you want to get married? And he, he's like, I know it doesn't sound like much, but it will, it will cause beads of sweat to break out on his forehead. He'll start bouncing his knee. He'll start kind of him, you know, humming and hawing. And, and, and uh, he, he said, because he'll think that if he doesn't give you the right answer, you're going to fail him, right? <laughs> and then they won't be able to get married. You know, but there was truth in what he said. It's a powerful, it's an important question. Why do you want to get married? So I'd have couples come in my office. I'd say, hey, so it sounds like you've decided to go out and commit marriage. Uh, well, why do you want to get married? Right? And you know what they told me? Because we love each other. Right? He said, I love her. And she said, I love him. Right? I said, good. What's that mean exactly? Well, I love him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I got that. What, what does I love him mean, right? Now, now watch this. If you try this with somebody, right? If you find whoever your 
friends are that are getting married, you ask them this question and, and you nail them, you, you, you pin them down and say, hey, what does that mean? I guarantee you they'll flip over into telling you all the positive traits of the other person. Well, he's funny. And, 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 and he's, he, you know, he, he's good with people, and he's very kind, and he's very gracious, he's romantic, right? You get all, you get all okay, fine, right? Those are wonderful qualities. I'm, I'm thinking in my head, she knows all of his good qualities now. Two months after they get married, she'll also know all his bad qualities. So I'm just going to set that aside for a second, right? What does I love him mean? What does I love her mean? And almost always, they'll take me back to a feeling. Well, you know... I just, I like being around them. I feel good being around them. I, I have these feelings of, of connection. And we even use the, you know, when, when you're teenagers and you're in junior high, you, you, you say, well, do you have feelings for them, right? Why? Because we've, that's what love is or seems like, right? Love is a feeling. At least that's what our culture tells us. By the way, this even works certainly out outside of the realm of romantic relationships. I mean, I tend to go there. That tends to be the, the place I tend to talk about because I'm so comfortable in that arena uh, because I work with couples. But this works even outside of that. And we're talking about love with, with friends, love with family. We use that term generally to say, I have good feelings about being with them. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll use it about inanimate objects. Wendy and I were in town west the other day. We stopped in a jewelry store looking at Christmas presents for somebody. And behind me, I hear a lady say, I love this watch. Right? I love this watch. Think about how cheap the word love has become. And when she says she loves it, she doesn't love the watch. What she's saying is, I feel, I feel good about it. I feel attracted to it. And I want it. And really, that's pretty much what it has come to mean with people. Somebody says, I love them. What they mean is, I feel attracted to them and I want them. Right? Certainly, you'll see this in the movies. Well, there's a certain genre of movie comes on this time of year, right? If you're watching television, the Hallmark movies or of that ilk begin to come on. And, and when it comes to Hallmark movies, I'm allergic. <laughs> and uh, I break out into sweats, hives even, you know. And uh, so I, I try to avoid them at all costs. I have to be careful what I say about them. My wife's in the service. but um. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the plot of a Hallmark movie, Hallmark Christmas movie, okay? I hope I don't get sued over this, but this, this is the plot, right? It works for all of them. You, you just kind of fit names and places into it, but how it works is first you end up with a guy and a girl who hate each other's guts. It's very important that they do not like each other, and it's helpful if one of them's already engaged, but <laughs> we can negotiate that, right? So now you have to find a way to make these two people be stuck together. And there's all sorts of ways you can do that, right? You can make them be stuck in a lodge. You can handcuff them together. Anything, really, that just makes them be stuck so that they can learn that they really, really do love each other, right? They're going to find out they have feelings for attraction, feelings of attraction for each other, right? Because the longer they spend with each other, the more they're like, I love them, right? But they don't say it yet because we're not to that part in the movie yet. So... They continue to develop these feelings, and before you know it, the whole world is changing. They're canceling jobs. They're not moving to the city they were moving to before. They're ending engagements. I mean, the whole thing is going crazy on you. But then, about 30 minutes before the end of the movie, something terrible happens that makes you just know they're never going to be able to get together. I mean, you just, you know, you watch it and you go, oh my goodness, they were doing so well. Now they'll never be able to make it. And then five minutes before the end of the movie, boom! Whatever needs to happen in the plot to get them back into each other's arms happens. Roll credits, right? There's a Hallmark movie for you. I just saved you hours of your Christmas life. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get hate mail. But, right, 
But isn't that what the movie industry has taught us, that love is a feeling, right? And you're going to be surprised by it. It's going to take you by surprise. You might be surprised who you find out that you love. And, and then once you find out that you love them, you may find out that you don't love somebody that you thought you loved before, right? That's a very, very frightening view of love, if you ask me. Because if love is just a feeling, how many of us know that our feelings change? Shoot, some of my feelings have changed since this morning, right? So if love is a feeling, I mean, we hear people talk all the time about, oh, I fell in love, I fell out of love, right? You know, the reason that we use terms like that, because it sounds so easy. Well, it's easy to fall in love, it's easy to fall out of love. There's country songs about that, right? The reason we say that is because we've boiled it down to a feeling, and feelings change. That's why there's a discontinuity between love and the real world. That's why at least it feels that way. You go to a wedding and somebody promises forever to each other, right? And we know why people think people get married. I've got a, a, a recent Pew Research poll says that 93% of married individuals and 84% of unmarried individuals think that love is a good reason to get married. It's a reason. Because I feel love for them, we should get married. Now think about that statistic. 93% of married people. 84% of unmarried people think love is a good reason to get married, and yet the other statistics tell us that one out of every two first marriages will end in divorce. No wonder people are frustrated. No wonder people are angry and feel like love does not fit with the real world. But then again, if love is a feeling, how can you promise to love someone? I mean, can you imagine if you were standing across an altar from somebody at your wedding and they promised you, I, I, I do take you for the rest of my life or until my feelings change? Right? That'd be a very short wedding, right? But we've boiled it down to a feeling. We've rebranded love, and, and actually what we've created here is we've created, we, we've taken love and, and we, we've taken attraction, simple attraction, and we've rebranded it as love, as a culture. But is it possible that it's just that? Is it possible it's just attraction? I mean, I want you to think back to your dating lives, okay? If, if you are dating, this is going to work great for you. But if, if this has been some time ago, you may have to roll back the dial a little bit and think back to your dating years. But I want you to imagine that you ask that special someone out on a date. You're going to go to a concert. You're going to go to something fun. And, and, and you have a really good time together. And you're really starting to click. And so after the, the concert or whatever, you say, let's go to Starbucks, right? Let's go get a coffee. And we'll sit down and, and we'll talk. So you go to Starbucks. As you walk in the door, you're thinking to yourself, man, I got an early morning tomorrow. I got a lot of things going on. I don't want to, I don't want to drink anything that's going to keep me up too late. So you go into the, you know, you talk to the barista and you say, I would like a decaf triple espresso, right? So you order your decaf triple espresso, right? And, 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 and you know, she gets whatever, what she's going to get. You sit down, you have this wonderful three-hour dating conversation. You know the, time, the, the kind. You sit there and you discuss your hopes and dreams. You discuss your crazy family, all the different things that you talk about on a date, right? And then as you walk away, you know, you're going to walk her home now. As you're, as you're walking away, you notice that your heart rate's kind of elevated, going da 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 And your, your blood pressure is a little high, you know? And you start thinking, wow, I really feel invincible. Like, I feel like I could take on the world. It's, it's 11.30. I should be just totally tired, but I don't feel tired. I got a spring in my step and a song in my heart, and I'm feeling good about the world, and I must be in love. Or it just could be that the barista didn't hear you say decaf. <laughs> right? So whether it's caffeine or attraction, if love is a feeling, 
then it's not reliable. And I want to talk to you for a second about the difference between love and attraction. And I brought a little something along with me to try to illustrate this. And many of y'all know, before I went into the ministry, I was a mechanic. It may be hard to believe. I know I don't look strong enough to lift anything heavy, but I'm wiry. So I'm going to find out who my mechanics in the room are, shade tree or otherwise, and try to keep my hand off the solenoid so you can see what this is. What have I got, guys? Ladies, anybody who works on cars? Yes, 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 that's exactly it. And unless you're very technology forward and you have an electric car, good for you, right? Or if you came here in a Model T and you're going to crank it before you go to lunch today, the rest of us have one of these in our vehicle. Under our hood, there is a starter, right? It's very important that it works, yes. How many of us <laughs> have gone out to our car and click, 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 right? Um, but anyhow, so your starter. Now, this is a very important piece of equipment, but it's a very odd piece of equipment because in your car, it has a very short time of use and it has a one very specific role, right? You get in your car, you turn the key or you push the button, however it works in your car. And when you do that, it energizes this motor. And when this motor kicks in, it spins the gear work of your engine for a few seconds, just long enough for all the integrated systems that make up the engine, the driving force of your car to come together and begin working in synchronization. At which point your starter does what? Stops, quits working. Why does it need to? It's, it got everything started, it's running, and the starter quits working and just sits there, right? That's the way attraction works in relationships. Attraction is a, is a starting force. It's God-designed, God-given, placed there by God, and it is a good thing. But the thing is, you have to understand that it is a starter in relationships. It spins the gear work of a love relationship long enough for all the integrated systems of love to kick in and to begin working in synchronization, and then attraction quits functioning in that way. And see, here's the problem. Some, some, some of you who are mechanic-minded, help me understand. If I wanted to propel my vehicle with this motor, if I decided... This is all I needed under the hood. What would happen to my starter? It'd burn out. I wouldn't get an inch down the road. It, it, would, it would stop before I tried. There's no torque in this. It's not going to pull the car forward, right? Here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that we have a lot of relationships today, and attraction is all we've got under the hood. And we're expecting it to push the relationship forward. We think that ought to be the driving force. And instead of attraction doing what it is supposed to do, which is to, to kick things off from time to time, to start things back up from time to time, to keep the, to, to, to keep the motor in, uh, ready to go at a moment's notice and to synchronize together, instead of it doing that, it burns out. And then people think love is broken. Well, it didn't work for me. Relationship completely fell apart, right? And then what they go looking for is another relationship where they find a new source of attraction. No wonder we've got relationship problems. No wonder we have people who are burned out. No wonder we have a culture who thinks there's a discontinuity between love and the real world. I'll tell you why. Because if attraction is all love is, then the real world ends up being very disappointed when it doesn't work out. Attraction is just a feeling. And all of us have experienced it. Love is something different. Love is something much more complicated. And, and, and I want to take you to a verse. This verse is very important to me when we start talking about love. Because, and, and, and I'm going to break sense here. There is the sense in our culture that love should be easy. Like I said, the idea of falling in and falling out of love. The idea that, that because it's a feeling, because it's just something that happens to me internally when I spend time with them, there's the thought that it's not really something that I have to do. It's just something that's very easy, right? 
But then look at what Jesus says about love. In, in Matthew 22, 30, uh, starting at verse 34, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, and they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Okay, time out for just a second. Here's, here's a person who's an expert in the Pentateuch. He's an expert in the, in the, in the five books, Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He understands... A lot about not only what is written in the law, but he's become an expert in how to uh, how to administrate the law. Um, and so this guy considers himself very well versed. So he's coming to Jesus, and then the point here was he was going to try to trap Jesus. And and and, and I'll tell you how. The idea was, well, I'm going to go ask Jesus which is the most important one of a very large number of laws in those five books. And then once he says which one it is, then he can go, well, why are the others unimportant? How about this one? How about this one? And in hopes of being able to get the crowd all stirred up because they would say, now, wait a minute, he doesn't think the law I think is most important is the most important. I mean, we could have that discussion here today and stir up some conflict. I could say, which law do you think in the United States is, is the most important? Before we were done, we could probably have a little bit of tension. And that's what they were hoping for. So, he asked, of the first five books of the Bible, which is the most important law? Check this out. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now check this out. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I mean, this guy goes to Jesus and says, of the first five books of the Bible, what's the most important law? And Jesus says, I'll go you one better. I'll go you one better, because the law and the prophets would have comprised the entire uh, uh, body of Scripture at that time. That would have been basically the Old Testament. If you, have, if you hold the Bible in your hand, the, the largest section of that, the Old Testament, is what Jesus is saying. He's saying all the law and the prophets boils down to this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I have a question for you. If love is easy, why would God devote so much ink and so many pages to teaching us how to do it. And we serve a God who's not into redundancy. I mean, why would God go to such efforts to teach us what love is if it's something that's just easy and something that just happens to you? I'll tell you why. Because attraction is something that happens to you. Love is something that takes work. Love is difficult. As a matter of fact, love may be the most difficult thing you ever do. To actually love somebody may be the most difficult task you ever take on in your life. So I just want to talk to you a little bit about what the Bible says about real love, and then we're going to be done. Here's the first thing, and that is that love is not a feeling, it's a gift. And I want to take you to John 3.16, a very familiar passage of Scripture, to prove this, right? The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he did what? He gave. Because God loved, he gave. Right? And you're going to see this theme. This is not my only verse. We're going to look at several passages where this theme is the common thread between them. That love inspires a gift, and that's the demonstration of love. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So out of that verse, I'm going to extrapolate the first half of our definition of love. If you're taking notes, I'm going to try to give you a working definition of what real love is. Okay, here's, here's, here's a working definition. Real love is when I give away something I deserve to keep for the sake of a relationship. That's real love. Real love is when I give away something that I deserve to keep for the sake of a relationship, right? And I hate to get on a hobby horse, especially since I can already tell I'm going to run short on time this morning, but 
when I, when I did premarital coaching, and I, and I still do this, but back when I was doing it one-on-one, every once in a while, I'd have a couple come in who would tell me they were sort of engaged. <laughs> I'd say, oh, okay, well, well, what does that mean exactly? And, and she'd say, well, I'm ready to get married tomorrow, but he has a little bit of a commitment problem, right? So I'd turn to him, and I'd say, do you have a little bit of a commitment problem? You know? <laughs> And he'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I really do. He's, you know, I, it's just a struggle for me because, you know, I, I love her. I love her. And I want to I, I be married to her. But I just, man, I struggle making that commitment because, you know, I, I've been single for a long time. And that way of life is easier for me. And, and I just, you know, and, and I recognize it's a big commitment. It's going to change everything about our lives. It's going to change friendships and all these different things. And, man, I'm just struggling to know if I can really commit to that. Can, can I just cut through the nonsense there and tell you this guy does not have a commitment problem. This guy has a first degree failure of love problem, right? Because what he's telling me is I am not ready to give away what I deserve to keep for the sake of this relationship. That's what he's saying. To his bride-to-be, I say run fast and run far, (laughs) right? Because real love is about making, you know, he's using the word commitment, fine, we'll use his word. But commitment is about saying, you know what, I am ready to do this. I'm ready to give up what I deserve to keep. And you moms in this room, you know all about that, right? Because you know what it's like to get up at two o'clock in the morning to feed child number three when child number one is gonna be up at seven o'clock in the morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. And yet you've got a sacrifice of yourself. You're, you're up doing those you know, early morning feedings, not because you want to. Lord knows you would like to get some sleep, but you do it because you are giving up what you deserve to keep for the sake of a relationship. That's love. And it works across the board. And that's what God showed to us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that anytime love happens, it is a voluntary sacrifice. Check this out. This is in John 10, 18. I didn't give this verse to the tech team, but this is Jesus speaking. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. That's the thing. Love is always a voluntary. See, that's, that's the other thing. Love is not about doing something under duress. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're married, if you do something for your spouse because you think they will be upset if you don't, that is not love. No. Love is when you do it because you want to do it for them. See, I talk to people who say, well, the romance is dead in our relationship. No, it's just the relationship has become transactional. Nobody's giving up what they deserve to keep for the sake of the relationship. And if they are, they're only doing it so that, to keep the peace. Their real love is about putting yourself out there and saying, I'm going to give of myself, even though I don't have to, for the sake of this relationship. But now I want to take it deeper because the Bible takes it deeper. I want to take you to a verse, Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I use this verse in every wedding that I perform. Um, And it says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We said Christ dying for us is an illustration of true love, right? So the Bible says the illustration of true love happened while we were still sinners, That means while we were still facing off to God, while we were still doing our own thing, while we were still going our own way, that's when love happened. So we're going to extend our definition. Love is when I give away what I deserve to keep for the sake of a relationship with an imperfect person, right? Which, by the way, is the pool that you have to choose from, right? Seriously. If you want to, if you want to marry somebody, just let me break it, break it to you. You will have to marry an imperfect person. That's all you have to choose from, 
right? If you want to have kids, you will give birth to little imperfect people, right? If you want to have friends, you're going to have friendships with imperfect people. That's all that there is out there. And see, that's what's special about love. I said a second ago, transactional relationships is all about what I do for you because you've earned it, what I do for you because you deserve it. That is a transaction. Love is about what I do for you just because I want to do that for you for the sake of the relationship. Man, I'm going to take a step aside here for a second and just say, I'm sorry, I I spend too much time in the couple's world, but I'm going to say something to husbands in the room because I want to help you out this Christmas season, okay? I don't know about you, but... I said I, I said I break out into hives with Hallmark movies. The word romance also can make me break out into hives, right? Because this is a challenging word for husbands, is it not? To be romantic, to be romance, that is a, that is a, a challenging word. And I think for most of us guys, we have this picture in our head that, that be, doing something romantic for your wife is like having a limo pull up in the front of the house with the two dozen roses inside. You're going to take her to this special date and special dinner and do this whole big thing. And we're thinking to ourselves, that is not sustainable. I cannot... I cannot keep anything like that up, right? <laughs> Let me tell you what real romance is. You try this with your wife and you tell me whether I'm wrong. Real romance is when you give up what you deserve to keep for the sake of a relationship with an imperfect person. It, it, it is the same thing as love, only surprise her with it. Do something, do something to show her that she matters to you by giving away something. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's just that you spent as much time thinking about something cool to do with her as you spent on thinking about fantasy football, right? Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But that's what, okay, sorry, I got off, I got off base. All right. You're talking about, talking about real love. Which, by the way, I was, I was doing a couples thing here at the church and uh, uh, was talking about um, real love. I was using this definition, uh, or one very much like it. And a gentleman came up to me afterwards, and he said, uh, that's your one phone call person, right? And I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't follow. And he said, well, when I was a young man, he said, I got arrested a few times just doing stupid stuff. And he's like, you know, it's tough, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they tell you you can make one phone call. He's like, you think through everybody in your life, everybody in your world. Who can I call at 3 o'clock in the morning who will love me enough to drive down here? Who can I call at 3 o'clock in the morning who thinks enough of me that even though I messed up, they'll still care? And I said, man, you've got it. That's it. Love is your one phone call person. Who's going to care about you no matter what? That's real love. 1 John 3.16 says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, here's a next level challenge, and we're, we're almost done here, but a next level challenge. I want to read this to you from Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Jesus said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you want to know how I know I have not arrived in my love relationships? I mean, there's plenty of evidences of that. But if you want to know how I know for sure that I have not arrived in my love relationships, it's this. Jesus says, I am to love my adversaries. And yet, 
I still have difficulty loving my friends in adversarial moments. The people, the people that I already love, when, there's, when, when, when we're butting heads, when things aren't going well, I, I find it difficult to love in those moments. I say that because every once in a while I talk to somebody who says, if God loved me, why would he let me be in a marriage where we're fighting a lot? If, if, if God loved me so much, then, then why is there so much tension between me and my kids? If, if, if God loved me, why would I be in such a, a problematic work environment? Can I just tell you that maybe God is training you? Maybe this is a period of time where you're getting the opportunity to learn how to love friends in adversarial moments so that someday you can graduate to loving your adversaries. I'm not there yet, but I certainly hope, I hope to get there someday. All right, so here's the last thing I want to share with you before we're done. Because there are some of you in this room who do like Hallmark Christmas movies. You know who you are, right? And you're thinking to yourself, this is the most unromantic sermon I have ever heard in my entire life. And uh, you're making love sound like it's just a big drudge thing, like it's just tasks and things that you do and things that you give away. And, and what about attraction? What about those warm, fuzzy love feelings? What about the, the, the indescribable you know, feelings of intimacy and joy of being, you know, being with somebody that you love? What about that? Hey, I'm all for that. As a matter of fact, I believe it's God designed, and I think it is a lot of what keeps that relationship rolling down the road. But I will tell you what's important to understand, and what I've been trying to get at this morning, is that there is an order of operations to love. Remember how when you were in math class, they taught you there was an order of operations, you do the math problem in a certain order? And if you do it in the wrong order, you get the wrong answer. And that's what we're dealing with in our culture with love. We've been doing it in the wrong order, and so we're getting the wrong answer. See, our culture thinks... That first, you put attraction in the driver's seat. And if love is about other things, if love is a choice, if love is sacrifice, if love is giving of yourself to other people, which people will tell you they think that's the case. The problem is they've put attraction in the driver's seat, and whatever that is over there, they've put in the passenger seat, assuming that love will come along for the ride as long as you're attracted to that person. And what I'm saying is the Bible says Attraction will come along for the ride if you really behave in a loving way towards that person. You have to love first to experience attraction. As a matter of fact, that's what keeps the beautiful circle of relationship going. See, God kicks off the relationship with the spark of attraction. I mean, at this point, you have nothing going on, but God kicks off the relationship with attraction. Now you are on each other's radar screen. Now is the time where we shift over into sacrificial love and we give of ourselves. And then after that, the attraction comes back and it keeps the circle going. I want to prove this to you. This is in scripture. Check this out. Very powerful and important verse. Matthew 6, 21. Jesus says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is a biblical axiom for life, and it always, 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 always works. Your desire will always follow your investment. Always, always, it will always follow your investment. You say, well, I've had a couple say, well, you know, the, the feeling's gone in the relationship. When we were dating, we were so close. Now, we're, now we don't feel close anymore. And I would say, when you were dating, did you buy her flowers? Well, yeah. Yeah, I did. When was the last time you bought her flowers? Uh... 1999, right? <laughs> when, you were, when you were dating, you know, when you were hanging out together, did you go on dates? Well, yeah, like every other night. Well, how long has it been since you've had a date night? Well, I remember the Christmas tree was still up, right? Seriously, 
I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like we expect the feelings to still be there when we quit investing in the relationship. And God says, no, the feelings come when you invest. Your heart will always follow your investment, which is a very powerful truth because it tells us that we can decide where we want to put our energy, and as a result, we can decide what we want to be attracted to. See, that's the reason people are disenfranchised with this discontinuity between love and the real world, because they think there's no way to control it. There is no way to know for sure who you can love for the rest of your life. There's no way to, to, to put a harness on those feelings. And yet God says, yes, there is. You invest in it first, and then those feelings will come along for the writing. Yes, you can know that you can be attracted to somebody for the rest of your life. Yes, you can know that that can be a positive friendship for the rest of your life. Absolutely, you can. Invest first. Desire comes along for the ride. I learned an important lesson over the course of the past several years, and, and you know how it is. Every once in a while, God really has, the, if you're a thick skulled like me, God has to really work on you to get a message through. And uh, it, started, it started about 12 years ago. My wife and I, we'd been married, and I'd gone, I had gone to tech school, and then when I finished tech school, we moved to Oklahoma City for me to take my first job as a mechanic. And uh, a couple here in Wichita had recommended a specific church uh, in the OKC Metro. And uh, we went there and just loved it, fell in love with the pastor and with the church. And we, we ended up in a, in a small group together um, with nine or ten other couples. And um, the church was in Edmond. And what you should know about Edmond is, like, like several suburban communities around here, Edmond was a very nice place to live. Um, in parts, it could be exceptionally nice place to live, little posh in, in, in pockets of town. And uh, the church was in a very nice area. Um, and so a lot of the couples that were in our small group had a lot of positive financial things going on for them uh, that at that time we did not. Now, we lived across town, okay? We, we lived like 30 minutes away, and we lived in a very nice apartment. Um, and, and we drove reliable cars uh, that leaked on the pavement. They were old, but they were, they were reliable. But I noticed as we began to spend more time with these couples, they had a lot of things we didn't have. Like we would go hang out with them and they would have these really nice houses. I mean, one of the couples in our group had two brand new SUVs paid for and an almost paid for house, right? And I'm looking around at this, you know, big house and I'm thinking, this is a lot bigger than our apartment, you know? And I'm looking at their cars, these bright, shiny new cars, and you know, there's my 1992 Honda Accord leaking oil on the driveway and I'm thinking, hey, God, this is not cool. In case you're wondering, right? It is not cool that they have all this cool stuff and we don't. After all, God, do you like them more than you like us? I don't, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's nice. I think you ought to, and I, and I would have these little temper tantrums on my way home from church with God saying, God, I think it is about time you let us have some nice stuff, right? And, and I wanted what those couples had. And I got to be honest with you. I really got into a funk thinking I need to do whatever it takes to earn enough money, to, to, to make my way in the world, to have what they have. And I, I gotta tell you, there was, a, there was a point at which God kind of nudged me about this, because I hadn't thought about it in a long time. God kind of nudged me about this about a year ago. Because sadly, uh, of, of our small group, nine or 10 couples that were in it, Wendy and I are one of two couples that are still together. And we're still, you know, we still love everybody that was in that group. They're great friends. And, and certainly, uh, I'm not saying this at their expense. I think they would be the first to, to, to say the same thing that I'm saying this morning. But it, it really taught me something. That it's not about the stuff. It's not about the stuff. 
It's not about the cars and the houses, all the nice things. I could have really messed myself up thinking that that's what I needed to go out and find a way to provide. Find a way. And some of you in this room are stressed out right now. Right now you're stressed out because you do not know how you're going to pay for Christmas for your family. And I'm just saying it's not about stuff. It's not about the stuff. And, I, and God has been good to our family. He's blessed us. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm more thankful for my wife and my two little girls than any of the things that God has given us. Amen. You know? So, what have we learned today? Love is a gift, right? It's not a feeling. Attraction follows. And the most important things are relationships with God and with other people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you love us, that you've taught us to love. You gave us the most beautiful image of what sacrificial love really is. Help us to remember that in this Christmas season. Help us to remember that's what Christmas is all about. You wanted us to know that you loved us and you were willing to provide a way for us to have a relationship with you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I know I'm in overtime. But if you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Jonathan, as you're talking about having a relationship with God, I recognize that's something I don't have in my life. But I want to. Well, here's what I want to tell you. The fact that God loves you means that he sent his son to die to pay for everything that you've ever done wrong. Absolutely everything. All that remains is for you to reach out to him and say, yes, I accept your free gift. So I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. Just a prayer that calls out to God. You can say this silently in your head and it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I've done wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone look this way. If you just prayed that prayer with me, you just made the biggest decision in your life. We want to get you started right in your new relationship with God. So if you'll Take that talk to us card that you got when you walked in. Check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Take it back to guest services in the foyer or back by the coffee shop. They have a packet they'd like to give you to get you started in your new relationship with God. Thanks for being here. Next week, we continue on with a Christmas carol.